And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 22 of PNR's This Old Marketing, coming to you from beautiful Los Angeles, California, on Monday, April 15th, dun, 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 tax day of 2014. As we always say, if you'd be so kind, if you don't find it too ahem, taxing, and you end up liking our little weekly bundle of audio love, we would love a review on iTunes. And we hope you'll consider subscribing via iTunes, Stitcher, or Cable TV, Paperboy, or just show up on our own little corner of the web, thisoldmarketing.com, where you can also find the show notes and general coolness of all the stuff, all the stuff we're talking about here. And also, as always, and back to our normal across-the-U.S. recording schedule, coming live from Cleveland, Ohio, my good, good friend, the tax man of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, Joe? Are your, are, are your taxes filed? I, I have to tell you, it's been a little, it's been, it's been a little painful. Um, I didn't really, and I'm not, I'm not going to get political at all on this because right, I'm not man. a political guy at all. But I got to tell you, it's a big difference from last year. Some of those new tax laws that went through, it, uh, it, it was a little bit could couldn't uh, right. deduct well. quite quite a few things like we did last year. So you know, whatever. That's fine. We go on. I'm looking forward to April 16th. <laughs> well, I uh, I absolutely did what I do every year, which was hit the uh, file later. <laughs> so I filed my extension as I always do. Do you on really? Fifteenth. Yeah. You just do it because you feel like it, or what's the reason for that? Oh, I need the whole year to figure it out. I don't. <laughs> I, I need more than four months to figure this stuff out. So. <laughs> More power to you, man. Yeah. No, I, I, was at the, I was at the post office today dropping it off. Oh, good there for you. you go. Good for you. There you have fun, it. There fun. you have it. Okay. Well, on to the news, shall we? Um, a couple of really interesting articles. This was a big week for articles, um, particularly about the publishing industry, which I found uh, fascinating. So our first week back from being on the road, as it were. And the first one we're going to talk about is this future of publishing. And this comes from a guy that I know you really like. Yeah. You send me his stuff a lot, Robert Sachs. Um, and he published an article that was basically him really writing from South by Southwest about the future of publishing. And the really interesting thing is, is the article is really him talking about what he was sort of taking away from South by Southwest. Um, and the one thing I took out of the article, which was really great, where – he said, you know, it's time for publishers to basically disrupt or be disrupted. Those are really the only two options that remain. Um, and he, you know, he also talks about this, but the fact that that's just not technology, right? We often talk about disruption being technological in, in nature, and he's talking about it being this idea that the general public continues to sort of follow whatever new reading platform and new reading things are coming up. So it's it's really about the fickleness and the adaptation of the audiences that's really starting to disrupt too, which I really liked that angle. What did you think? Well, I thought, isn't that so interesting too? It's the, it seems like, and I I think we're going to talk about this more and more because as I was reading through all the news, it's, there's that, this thread through a couple things. One is it seems like the biggest issue for, you know, publishing, or we can call it content marketing on the brand side is that we have to be agile. You talk about this all the time. If, right. if you like the most important thing is coming up with a marketing group that can move fast, fail fast and not get caught in not changing quickly. That's right. That That's seems right. to be. And this is exactly what he's saying with publishing. And this is why you're having all these new online publishers come in because they are failing fast. They are iterating super quickly and they're not set to any thing that they've done for the past five or 10 years or, or revenue streams that were on a long time ago, you know, AKA print channels or whatever the case, or, or 30 second spots. It depends, doesn't matter which publishing you're talking about. And, right. and that's, and that's really the key to this whole thing. And that's what Bob's talking about. By the way, I got to throw out a little bit of love to, to Bob Sachs. One of the be- the longest running uh, e-newsletter. And, and I mean, I don't know if it is, but he says he's a long, e- longest running e-newsletter of anyone out there, and I would suggest that you go, go and subscribe because it's he's a really good one. He sends yeah. three yeah. news, yeah, three news updates every day, and uh, and we use a lot of them on the show. So hats off to Bob. But I, yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the biggest thing is this whole thing, and this is what we're dealing with. And we even talked to a lot of brands in Singapore 
we were talking the, the issue is change the issue is change is tough so i guess my my question back right. to you is yeah. Yeah. What 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 do we need? What do brands need to do right now, knowing that this is really the key issue? And how do we how do we disrupt our own marketing publishing entities right now? How do we do that? Well, it's an interesting challenge. It's and it's one as you know that I'm I'm all over in terms of working with clients and and trying to figure out answers to. Uh, and in fact, it was really the topic of my 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 talk at, at Content Marketing World Sydney. And it's this, you know, the 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 key here is. The the disrupt yourselves before you're disrupted is this, you know, it, it comes back to this idea that, you know, marketing has changed, the process has changed, the way consumers interact with our brands and go through, you know, it's, it's sort of cliche even to, to, to talk through all of the changes of the way consumers now buy products, but most of the larger organizations, certainly the marketing department as we've known and loved it for all these years hasn't changed. And, you know, there's lots of talk these days about agile marketing and and you know and marketing adaptations and, and and all of those kinds of things and to me it's it's really starting to build a marketing organization that much more resembles a newsroom or a media company or you know the way that they go to market in sort of shifting teams that sort of work on different beats really rather than some sort of static hierarchical way of you know Joey does this and Bob mm-hmm. does that and Sally does this and this is the way it always was and always will be and so we end up with these sort of silos f- with each other and that just has to change in the marketing organization. You know, it can't be that PR sits over here and never talks about anything with demand generation and demand generation sits over there and never talks about anything in brand. We've got to bring those silos together, if not the silos from a team standpoint, at least the process of the way that we go to market with content. Well, the, the best thing about this article is basically, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but how do you set up a publishing or a content marketing entity when the end user behavior consistently changes? That's right. How do you? That's exactly right. <laughs> and this is where we're at. This is just like yeah. it's dumbfounding to figure that out. And so that's why, I mean, of course, our current siloed structure is completely broke. But then how do we, we, we are almost forced to create an agile system of sort of figuring it out as we go. And it's very hard for big companies to, maybe the hardest thing for big companies to do around marketing is to say, oh, oh we're just going to keep this in flux and we're going to constantly move. They well, don't work that it. well that way. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? I mean, so this comes to this other article that uh, actually we sort of paired this up with, which is um, Michael Baskard, who wrote this book, The Content Machine, a great book if you have not read it, um, really talking about the sort of past, the present, the future of publishing more broadly. And he really sort of, you know, from a completely different angle, agrees with Sachs. And he starts comparing it to like the Cambrian era of the dinosaurs and evolution and stuff, which is really interesting. He he actually says, and, and what I think feeds right to your point where you're saying, how do we deal with this, you know, and can we deal with this? And the, and the question is, no, we have to deal with it. I mean, it doesn't matter if we want to or can, it, we have to. Because as he says, you can't stop evolution. You can only alter its direction. You know, and as he puts in great big bold letters, change happens. And the question is, do you embrace or resist it? And that reminds me, of course, of the, the, the wonderful Clayton Christensen quote that I often use in presentation, which is, you, you may hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the real key here. So we've got to, as marketing organizations, we've got to start experimenting with new ways to adapt to exactly what Sachs is talking about, which is how do we continue to evolve with the way that our consumers and audiences, quite frankly, probably even a better word for it, are are evolving and adapting to the ways that they want to buy. Well, I really, you know, this is this is a really good article. Like we we I yeah. want to go through this a second time because there's a couple things in there. So, so I pulled out a few points. So he's talking specifically yeah. about publishing startups. Uh, makes the point that most fail and most struggle to survive, even though they have a lot of innovation going for them, even though they have a lot of these agile structures going for them. And the second thing makes this point about how audience are so difficult to crack. Yeah. So, so keep this in mind. And, and by the way, there's a li- in this article, he's got a list of all these publishing startups. And it blows your mind. I mean, this yeah, is exactly. just uh, this is amazing that we're seeing this. So, th- so when I look at this from a brand perspective, here are publishing startups that are committing to creating amazing content, growing their subscribers, doing all the things we talk about that brands should do. And a lot of them are failing. Uh, 
and a lot of them are struggling to gain audience. So when you think about it from a brand perspective, and this is what I think we see, you see a lot of these brands that are sort of are dabbling in it and they're not committing to it. And since they're not committing to it, they're definitely not going to see success. And here we see all these people that are these businesses that are committing to it and still aren't seeing success. This is a tough business to be in. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, did you yeah. go ahead? I just, I just, what's the, what's the additional take? I, I almost want to, I almost think that there is a point where we have to disrupt more than what we're going. I mean, you can't just say, oh, we're going to do the blog. Uh, we're going to distribute in social media. I mean, we've been there, done that. What, what, do we, what do we need to do next? So it just can't be that we, you know, that it takes two weeks or a month or a quarter to stand up a website or a blog or a social channel or whatever it is. It just can't be that way. We have to, t- you know, the, the content platform of tomorrow is the media buy. It, it, is, it needs to be that quick and that easy to stand up as well as pull back on. And that's the real key here is, is that what you're seeing is the opportunity is we can launch as many startup you know, publishing efforts as we want to and brand it and create it. But we've also got to be able to fail fast and pull back from it just as quickly. So we can't you know, throw all the eggs into a giant blog basket and go, this is the way we're going, you know, come hell or high water. We've got to actually be able to pull it back and relaunch it with something different if, if we need to. Well, that's where you, you – we were talking about this the other day about ROI and you know, when you launch a product, did somebody say, well, I want to know for sure that it's going to work. Before you do it, I mean, you said, what's right. the ROI of content marketing? And like, this is the silliest thing. And here we are talking about the publishing startup mentality of fail super, super fast, iterate, iterate, move, disrupt. And this is where the, I think this is where the opportunity is at. It's not necessarily, and I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the best content will win. It might be just the most adaptive organizations that will win this battle. And you and I had a really good conversation with a very large brand, um, you know, few you know, week back about the same issue, yep. and we say, we basically said, "Look, there's an opportunity right now to do something amazingly special, but that opportunity won't be there in a year or two years. So if you want that's it, right. you got to take it right now." Yep, and that's the key: is that we we the 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 opportunity is there. You know, like you just said, you know, great content will win today, and it may not win tomorrow, and we've got to be prepared to change and adapt as those as those things change because you know tomorrow quite frankly look facebook may not be our best opportunity you know or linkedin or some other platform may not be the way that we want to you know that we may want to move and if we just continue to look at it in that sort of traditional campaign oriented hierarchy we're going to you know we're we're going to make those bets in too big a way and i think well i guess to give a to do or to give at least something constructive. I mean, we, I think we advocate the fact is you're not going to tear down your structures right now, but what you can do is you can get somebody that's going to own this, which I think is critical. I don't care what the title is. They have to own the idea of of the, the practice of content marketing in the organization and then start working with those people that are creating content or own content in those different silos, whether that be PR or corporate com or, or social media or email or whatever the case is. And those people need to start getting together and forming that fluid team. I think that's a really good place to start. Well, it, it really is because that's the way that you know, right? That's the way that, you know, it's, it is by becoming organized that you become, you know, agile, right? Be, you know, and, and knowing and understanding how content is managed and, and used strategically in the business is the first step to understanding how you can be more agile with it. Because until you get there, until you actually have ownership, responsibility, and it goes beyond just being random acts of content out there in different silos, you don't know how to scale. Therefore, you don't know how to make it more agile and adaptive. Well, I think, if I'm correct, we had a lot of of M&A activity this week we did we did not indeed we <laughs> did indeed speaking of content and the importance of it holy smokers yeah there was well this come there's two articles here that that um actually three if you count the the press release um there this started with this article that was done on venture beat 
um, by Shafkat Islam, who is the CEO and co-founder of NewsCred. And he talked about how this last quarter, I think meaning the first quarter of, of 2014, it's called the $100 million quarter and why deals are flowing into content marketing. And he talks through how this is – well, it's fascinating. I'll come to that in just a second. But he talks about this $100 million in VC-backed deals have come into the quarter. And he t- mentions himself, news credit, $25 million, Percolate at $24 million, Share through at 17 Mashable got 13 which I'm not sure that they really belong. Well, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Contently got nine million. Triple Lift four million. Flipboard buying Zite for sixty million over time, and he, you know, those are just to name a few. So he goes through all of that, and then the interesting thing to me was as he works his way through, as he works his way through this article, it's almost like you're watching him try in real time to work out in his head why this is all of a sudden come to pass, right? I mean, he starts out by saying, well, two years ago, content marketing wasn't even a thing. Well, yeah, it was, but anyway. Um, And then he sort of ends it all by saying, you know, the rising tide will certainly make all boats rise, but his fear is is that not all of today's boats are ocean ready, which I would agree with as well. I think it's 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 a good point, but I'm not sure he ever actually comes to a conclusion of why so many deals are flowing into content marketing other than it's hot. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? It's- <laughs> I mean, let's, well, let's talk about Yeah, you're right. I mean, he mentions uh, the need for real-time communication, global consistency, multi-channel engagement. And I would agree those are all issues. But the, I think the fact this comes down to it is audiences, it's harder to get attention from consumers than ever before. It's harder to create relationships with those people. But the technology is all available. And we're trying to figure out how we can do this scale this and unfortunately our advertising is not working the way it used to our pr is not working the way it it used to so we've got to figure out something or we're having our lunch eaten by somebody else that figures it out they're all running they're all running to it i mean you can go you could i mean we just talked about this there's no barriers to entry unlimited use of technology faster than ever before to get up and running and the fact is is that our consumers have a information uh, engagement device with them 24 hours a day and can now engage in any piece of content, get any information they want to at any time. And it may make sense for you, the brand, to provide that information, build that relationship, and hopefully down the road they'll buy from you because you are forming this relationship with them. I mean, that's is that that's pretty much it. I mean, is there... Yeah. I think that I, well, I mean that I mean that's that's you know, the, but that's not in this article. That's right? not in this article. So, yeah, yeah. No. so, I mean, I guess what I was expecting or hoping for, let's put it that way, was a period or an exclamation point at the end of that sentence of his title, and I think it's more of a question mark, right? Which is, you know, it, it, we we understand that this is you know that that multi-channel, omni-channel, you know, all the things that you just mentioned are challenges for the market. I mean, everything we just talked about, the marketing organization is changing. The question in my mind, which is what I was kind of hoping he would answer, is why is it why is it all of these disruptive technologies are entering the market now versus the sort of traditional technologies which you would have hoped evolved to solve this challenge? So it's it's interesting to me, you know, I've said many times it baffles me why some of the more enterprise-level products haven't solved this challenge yet. And it's it's interesting to me to watch all of this VC-backed. It's interesting and fun, and, and I'm so glad for the founders of these companies that they're getting this money. But it's it's also fascinating to me why now, right, why why they have, you know, why this gap in the market wasn't filled by sort of, the more traditional marketing technologies that we've had for the last, you know, ten years. It's it's a really interesting disruptive wave that's come in. With are you this are you really are you? I didn't expect it. Are you really asking that question? Yeah, you, I really. Well, am. so I mean, I, I so of course I come from the publishing background. I would say the same thing. Why didn't the greatest publishers and content machines of our time figure out this digital disruptive? content program like the buzzfeeds and the upworthies of the world why didn't they figure that out why didn't they get that good point why, why are Excellent all these point. why are all these uh, media programs still uh, still in the throes of figuring out their old print uh production processes and have been getting killed for years on it and they're just finally coming around if if the ones that are still around 
And I think it's the fact is, and, and I've been in these businesses, you're working on the business. You're working on the revenue at hand. So let's just take a magazine, for example. You know, you've got, let's say you've got $10 million in magazine advertising revenue. So you're doing what you can to get more of that in the house. But at the same time, you've got startup down the block moving 100 miles an hour, going after this other opportunity, and they're, they're completely agile and they completely get it, and they don't have anything else holding them back. And I think that's what's happened, and you say this all the time with the content management system companies. Why didn't they get into all this? They have the right. technology. Yeah. Why aren't they there? And I think a lot of this, you're just not looking there. You're looking at what you have. You're looking at the solutions you have, and you're not saying, oh, my gosh, what's going to eat our lunch in 12 months, and somebody's already there eating it. Yeah, it's it's an excellent point. It's 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 a really great point, which is, you know, and it comes right back to what Shafkot says in his in his in his post where he talks about the rising tide rising, you know, and him fearing that not. And that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, having seen some of these technologies, I can tell you that many of them are not ocean ready um, for the enterprise. And you know, it's 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 a fascinating time to watch all of this technology and money sort of flow together with you know the the new process of how content is becoming such a central part of the a part of the business strategy you know not to mention the marketing strategy of course but the business strategy um you know because this pairs up by the way you know the other two articles that we wanted to talk about were you know silver pop a company that we've known for a long time was just acquired uh this last week by ibm or will be acquired by ibm they were confirming that and act on a marketing automation company look out hubspot look out marketo just got 42 million dollars in vc funding this week i mean that's just crazy amounts of money and it's by the way, I didn't know this. This is a really interesting little factoid that I gleaned in the in the Silver Pop uh, article. It was actually like fourteen or fifteen years ago. The company was actually invest two hundred thousand dollars were invested by the students at the Michigan Ross School of Business. So it was actually the company was invested in originally funded by a group of students at a business school. And so five students generations later, they're getting their money back. Oh my god! That's fantastic! Isn't that awesome? That, Isn't that awesome? That is that is completely opposite. The one thing yeah. I do have to mention, uh, just because we always like our disclaimers, we are we do business with every one of these companies we talked about. NewsCred yeah. is a sponsor, Silver Pop is a sponsor, IBM is a sponsor, and Acton is a sponsor. So just want to make sure that hey, we don't we love them all. So we're we're glad. Dude, but the absolutely. the one thing I wanted to say about the NewsCred post and going back and it sort of wraps it up together. This yeah. thing about and he makes this point really well. We've seen a number of businesses just slap on the term in their deck content marketing and oh, say, oh, for sure. here we are. We're in the content marketing industry now. We've seen it on the SEO side. We've seen it on the social media side. The money has really moved away from, the, from SEO and, and social and some of these other things, and they've really gone heavily, especially on the B2B side, heavily into content marketing. And so it's just funny. And he's completely yeah. right. When I read that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, is that not the truest? Because you get hit up every week to do – reviews of all these software packages and they're like oh we're a content marketing platform since when since last week (laughs) exactly seriously well it's it's not unlike what happened in the sort of software as a service and cloud space as well you know a a friend of mine who's a wall street guy calls it cloud washing um because all these companies now claim to be in the cloud you know when cloud became hip um, and now that content marketing has become as, you know, quote unquote, hip as it has, sort of every company is now a, you know, a content marketing company. I mean, you even see it in agencies too, right? I mean, agencies are now starting to shift over from, you know, oh, we're not a digital agency anymore. We're a content marketing agency or we're not an SEO agency anymore. We're, you know, SEO Moz dropped their SEO moniker, right? Yep. And they're just now the Moz. And so, they're, you know, they're all about content these days. So it's it's really having a, a huge impact. I think the funniest thing is though when I see publishers say, publishers, you know, what this media company is now getting into the content marketing industry. We, <laughs> yeah. now, we now have a told division. And I know for a fact they've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. It's like, oh, they just <laughs> now got, now they're caught. I mean, like, really? You're, you're, and I, it, it's fine, right? It helps us. I have no problem. I have no problem with it, but it's just you, jump on. You it's got, a big boat. Oh, it's a big boat. It's, it's, well, I, but I think it, just to bring this all around, we're definitely going to see some consol. I mean, we're seeing the consolidation now, oh, yeah. but it's going to get crazy consolidated. You're either going to see people drop and not make it, or you're going to see major, major consolidation here in the next twelve months. 
That's right. And we talked about this a couple of episodes ago when we talked about uh, technology and a couple of the other startups that had gotten funding. Where a, a number of these, both boats that are ocean ready and boats that aren't ocean ready, are going to get acquired um, relatively quickly. Here, I, I predict that this is that a hundred million dollar quarter is only the beginning. I would I would suggest that there's going to be a two hundred million dollar quarter coming, um, both with acquisitions and new VC money. Yeah, the only thing that that concerns me is this is this is smelling a little bit like uh, in the heyday of social and VCs were just throwing my, I mean, I, I've, you and I both have, have known of, of a couple companies of, of really good yeah. people, but really not very good technology that got multiple millions of dollars. Not any ones we talked about today, but there's been some and uh, I'm like, how did they get money? I mean, you are you ki- like are you kidding me? What did they do? Did they serve brownies? I mean, like what what happened in the meeting that they what got? What kind them- of brownies? <laughs> what happened in the meeting? Yeah, it was only in Colorado. Yeah, so yeah. You know, I I mean, I'm really just dumbfounded, and that's what concerns me. Where I don't know if um, if some of the the VCs are doing their their due diligence on, and 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 it happens in every industry. We're seeing a lot of excitement. That's great for us. Uh, and a lot of people are going to fail and, 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 and will come out more mature on the, on the other side. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, moving on to our next story, which is a fascinating one, actually. And, and, and here we are, however many minutes into the show, and we're finally going to get to our first native advertising. Oh, ding, ding, um, ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. We should make that a drinking game. We should make that a drink for our audience out there. Or, we should or make, for us. Yeah, or for, or for us, right? We should make this. You know, every time we say if, native advertising, we have to take a drink. If it was a drinking um, game for us, uh, we it would be right at the start. Of, we would rename. The I show. got so much. I got so. I got so much trouble, by the way, for for the three glasses of wine that I had during our live show in Sydney. I have people coming up to me going, "Would you like a glass of wine?" I think people were just <laughs> awfully friendly to you. They just kept putting wine in front of you, and you were almost <laughs> obligated to drink the the wine. At that well, point. I was never. I, I'm never. I never feel obligated to drink a glass of wine. Let's be clear. <laughs> about that <laughs> that's uh a nice a, gl- a nice glass of wine is uh is always welcome anyway so the article comes from ad age this week and it's about uh cosmo uh the fat i've not that i'm a reader of cosmo um but uh the cosmo cover this month got a little bit controversial i guess and the may issue um, wasn't promoting some sex survey or trying to do things or didn't have a Kardashian on the cover or anything, but rather the cover this month for May had the audacity to have an ad, basically a L'Oreal featured cover. And it didn't say L'Oreal like plastered all over it, but it was basically a L'Oreal sponsored cover. And they did a special cover and produced it over the top of the regular cover, and it became sort of the cover for May. And I guess everybody started freaking out about it. And Ad Age, which very appropriately, I think, wrote an article that says, no, get over it, um, is, 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 is sort of fighting back against that. What, what was your take on this cover? No, I, I think it's cra- – I mean, my question was, and I have to see it because I can't see it in the pictures – did they put any kind of disclaimer that they were a sponsor or anything like that, or did because it looks like it, they didn't? It looks like it's just yeah, it, this is it. Get the five hundred dollars yeah, worth of see. L'Oreal makeup and whatever the yep. case is. Yeah, not that I could see. I didn't see you know, and I didn't see the actual physical cover. I saw the same thing you're looking at, which is the screenshot um, from uh, from the Ad Age article. So I didn't actually see the cover itself. So whether it was on the inside or whether it was uh, a really small spider type or something like that, it's certainly not overt, right? It's certainly well, not an overt sort of disclaimer. Yeah, I, I don't, and I mean, I, it's funny because if this was digital or if this was in an event, nobody, this wasn't, this wouldn't be news. But for whatever reason, right. because it's the print medium and or television for that matter. I mean, how many right. television shows do we have? I've got. I mean, I remember back in the day, you had, uh, you had Jack Bauer running across the screen for somebody, some sponsor in twenty uh, twenty four at the time. I mean, like, so is that that's okay? But putting this on the cover of print is not. I, I think that. Uh, print co- needs to continue to disrupt and figure itself out and come up with new ways. And I love this in the article talks with uh, publishers, media companies need to figure out better ways to, to leverage their assets. And I think this is this is okay. I still am in favor of being completely transparent and disclosing that. So I'd like to see that. But honestly, with a 
with the magazine like Cosmopolitan, does it <laughs> does it really matter? It needs to be valuable. It needs to be valuable right. and relevant more than anything else. And if it is, I think and that your readers are going to be readers. okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The readers are going to decide that, not some, you know, sort of, you know, well, anyway, I won't get off on a rant about, you know, <laughs> marketing gurus who are who are trying to pass some judgment on whether, you know, how Cosmo should run its business. Um, but, yeah, I think they're, you know, let the, as you say often with this, readers are smarter than that. You know, they, they, they'll either get it and like it or they'll rebel and, and Cosmo won't do it again. I would take it. To, I would take it as far as you can. I really would. I would too. I, I would, absolutely. Because what? What? I mean, we I think we need to find out. I, we think we. I would like to see what print can do. Let's really get crazy with some of the stuff we can do in print, like we've been doing digitally. I don't see a problem with that. I think there's still a long, long life left for print. Maybe you know, I'm sure I'll be dead and gone, and print will still have its place, doing things. But I think we we've, we've got to figure out. Um, how better to use it than just the traditional way of here's a magazine, here's a newspaper. I mean, of course, yeah. well, how, when did, when did uh, USA Today start putting an advertisement on their cover? And that was like, oh, my God. They put yeah. an ad on the cover of the magazine. Well, and they had an infographic. Didn't they, didn't they have infographics were sponsored too, right, in the early days? Oh, my gosh, I know. That's horrible. This is, this yeah. T- this, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know. I mean, this is news that's not news, but I think we're – um, right. But because it's print, everybody feels it's a little bit different. Yeah. Moving on, the next story, which is just a wonderful one, um, and it will feed at some point into my rant, which I have a little later. Um, but this was just a really interesting story, and you passed this on to me, so I'm I'm really interested to hear your take here. So Shutterstock, uh, which we all know is the stock photo, stock video library um, sort of competitor to Getty and all of that, where you can go get your – videos and photos for your blog posts and of course your magazine your print ads and whatever you're doing they have launched their own media site an online learning platform a complete online platform where in their in their article announcing this they basically said they've got 10,000 videos from 100 instructors which seems a little odd to me by the way 100 inst- that's a thousand videos or a hundred videos each or something they're keeping that's them busy video. yeah <laughs> really busy holy smokers um and you know each of which has been vetted and approved for quality and subject matter but basically it's all like photoshop tutorials and web development tutorials and photography which you can see immediately the content marketing sort of uh inline sort of uh mission there and you can choose between different types of training either you know complete comprehensive courses which will you know sort of give you the full on or very specific as they call them skill snacks that you could sort of fit into your day i mean i love it as a platform there wasn't a lot of information on their this article that we're going to link to in the show notes and quite honestly i don't know what they messed up or something cuz all the links where they say click here for more information go to some other press release that they had about them presenting at some conference so i think there's something messed up with the page but i just love this as an idea what did you the think idea is yeah i mean it was in this old marketing i don't know five or six episodes ago we covered the schneider electric yeah. educational educational uh university that they do and in that it is the the number one lead generation program that they do of everything else that they do and i i mean brands do an education it's it's a proven model it works really super well and this makes perfect sense because the people that are going to take these courses are of course um customers or would be yeah. customers or prospects right i mean it makes of, of shutterstock it makes perfect sense to do that um i love it i'm, I'm of course i want to see if it's good i have a feeling it will be uh and I, I think that there's something to this and i think more i think this is a big opportunity I'm, it was kind of weird that they're charging for it i almost like that I almost like that they're not saying, "Oh yeah, it's uh, it's X Y Z University and it's free," and right. like every and I'm and I think it's almost disruptive by them charging and saying, "No, there's a value to this," and they probably run it as a separate P and L, but also with the fact that and, and if you do, it's like who's a customer, who's not? I absolutely love it, and I wish more brands would would look at this as an as an opportunity. It'll be real interesting to see how they do. I mean, you know, I mean, 10,000 videos is a lot of content to start out with, you know, and whether they're going to expand from that or not is, is, is unclear. 
Um, but yes, I, I too love the fact that they're actually finding, you know, that they're actually saying this is a thing of value and we're not only just going to ask you to register for it, we're going to actually ask you to pay for it. So, so that, you know, it, it obviously, you know, is a product unto itself. It is, you know, it is marketing, creating value, which of course I, I absolutely adore. And interestingly, we, we paired it with this other article, which is sort of the reverse, which I, which I absolutely loved. Um, so good friend and family of the show, Brian Clark, uh, who runs Copy Blogger, of course, had a presentation um, and a wonderful presentation that's linked to, and we'll put it in the show notes, of course, which is um, just always nice to see Brian's presentation. And he he actually was at a, at a conference and he talks about the the Copy Blogger sort of story. And what I loved about this, his presentation here, and this video of it, is he starts out by saying. They're a media company that sells software. So in other words, he says, we're a media company and you might see us traditionally want to sell advertising or subscribers or something like that, but we actually don't. We actually sell software and web hosting and all sorts of stuff like that and training, not the other way around. And so it's very often that you and I and in content marketing more broadly will often talk about how brands and product companies should act more like media companies. Well, here he is sort of out there talking about how he's a media company acting, using content to drive a product, you know, sale. And I just, from the sort of mirror image of this, I just, I love that as a presentation. So I think they're two wonderful stories to pair together. Well, it's interesting. We work with a lot of start. I mean, mostly, mostly we work with big enterprises, but sometimes we work with startups and startups are so focused as they should be on getting their product out or whatever it's going to be software as a service or, or whatever the new product is. And while they're working on that, I always believe that they should be building something for their audience. I mean, we yeah. did that content marketing institute. I mean, most people don't know this, but we were la- launching as a software as a service type model to match up uh, people looking for content marketing services. That was the original idea. Now we've m- we've morphed into a media company. But what Brian is talking about, I think, is the the best path for startups and small businesses to go to market with whatever they're trying to sell at the end of the day is to become a media company, to build a true platform, to build a, a audience of uh, passionate subscribers. And I think if you do that, it is much easier. I mean, if, if you're one of Brian's 200,000 plus subscribers for Copyblogger, do you think you're not going to, when you need hosting, you're not going to buy hosting from him? Exactly. Or you're not going to get his SEO stuff uh, that he sells and all the other products? Of course you WordPress are. WordPress framework, yeah. And that's exactly what's happened because all of, almost all of, as far as I know, almost all of his revenue comes from subscribers. So I, I think it's brilliant. I and mean, of course, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, and Br- Brian is, what? you know, he, he knows. What, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so simple. And most brands don't go that direction. Well, let me ask you a question, because this is a question I actually got this week, and it's a literal question, and you and I haven't talked about this even in the pre-show stuff that we do, but here's a question I got from, so this guy calls me, and he wanted some advice, and he's uh, a part of a company that we know very well, Um, and so I said, sure, call me up and and ask, and the the question he had, the advice that he wanted was – He's a, he came from a B2C company. So this is a guy who was a big marketing VP at a B2C company. And he had a, an opportunity to go run marketing at a brand new startup in a crowded field. So I'll say that. So a B2B startup in a crowded field, he's going to go be the CMO. And his question to me was this, and I'm going to ask you the same okay. question. His question was, should I basically go the traditional B2B route and really, you know, get on the event bag wagon and get a PR firm and, you know, do demand generation, you know, or should I go all in with content marketing? We have nothing right now. There are basically five people in this company. What should I do? I'm going to get, he's, they just got funding. So he's going to get a big bucket full of money. What should he do? Should he actually go all in with content marketing and hire all these people that will be content marketers and create great content and all of that? Or should he, for the time being, start out by going, uh, uh, the more traditional sort of B2B, build a marketing department, and then add in the content marketing layer as, it, as he needs. What would you have told him? Uh, I always say it depends. Um, and I'm, so I'm going to, I always hedge on that because I can't yeah. say, I can't, 
I, I would right. never. It's hard to. It's hard to give it. It's hard to give us. Uh, yeah, you know, so I'm gonna right lean now, one but... direction. First of all, I've got to do the disclaimer and say I, I. Sometimes it makes sense to do some advertising. Sometimes it makes sense to do some yeah. PR. It depends on what you're trying to do. But honestly, if you're a small Absolutely. organization, um, how can you differentiate yourself the most and be separate from the pack and at the same time start? You know, building building an audience. I mean, so we just talked about this, right? I probably right. would start to create some information that is so needed in the industry that you start getting people flocking to you and create your own PR and create yeah. your own following because you can do a lot more. And I mean, okay, let's just say, let's just say, for example, he wants to go to one of those big events. Of course, we sell events, so I got to watch what I'm saying. But let's <laughs> but let's just let's say okay, we're gonna buy a booth, and that booth's gonna cost me ten thousand. Right. Well, I know to activate that, I'm gonna spend at least two, three times that. So I'm gonna spend another twenty, thirty thousand just activating it. I'm forty thousand in the hole right now, and I've got to make sure that I get at least one point five times out of that. I got to get sixty thousand dollars worth of business out of that. Well. You can do a lot of damage in content for $40,000. A lot. Yeah. You can do some amazing research. You can do some uh you can do some ebooks, you can do some but you can do podcasts like this <laughs> which basically right. in all honesty, besides our time, doesn't cost us anything to do. So, I mean, I I, I would I would say let's just think a little bit differently and I I almost say uh please for the love of God don't do exactly what your competitive set is doing. That's and actually that's the biggest pet peeve I have with content itself because most in most B2B markets we go in, the content that those B2B companies are creating looks just like their six to seven other competitors. I'm like, and right. you say this all the time, tell a different story. That's the whole thing. Right. But you end the show this way. Tell a different story and tell it well. Instead of saying, yeah. let's just do the same thing and hopefully we'll get some attention because we've got uh, more funding or a better logo or a better story. You know what? You don't have a better story about you or your product. If your story, your story has to be focused on your audience. So what did you tell them? Great advice. I told them. So, yeah, I just told them that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually said, I, I gave him two pieces of advice. I said, I did actually tell him much of what you just said. But I, I, I also said, one is you need to sit down with your board and your CEO and understand where they're at, right? So what are they, you know, where, where is their philosophy at where, you know, and really get aligned there because if they're trying to grow this thing slow and incrementally and, and really, you know, drive sales early on and get profitable fast, you need to feed that sales funnel quickly. And so you need to develop a demand generation, you know, program toot sweet. But having said that, you need to bring on somebody immediately who's going to figure out that differentiating story and at least start setting the groundwork and foundation for it so that there's something there to promote for your events and for your demand generation and for your inbound programs. Um, so I told them to sp- basically what, you know, in a nutshell, the too long didn't read version is, you know, split the difference. Well, and, and then you were, I mean, when you worked at your, I don't know if I can say your former company. Can I say your former company that you worked? Yeah, yeah sure. when you worked yeah. at Crown Peak. It's- and you set yeah. up your whole marketing department. You basically started hiring editors and people with publishing background yeah. and understood the audience and how to tell a good story. And they didn't That's know right. they didn't know a lick about marketing. That's right. Yeah, because that I can teach them. I can teach yeah. them marketing, but I can't teach them how to be great communicators. And that's the real that's the real difference. So speaking of great communicators and great differences and differentiating stories, we have a sponsor this week. Dun dun dun. Um, Joe, tell us about the sponsor. Isn't this awesome? All right, I am very, very excited uh, to uh, tell you a little bit about Marketing Automation Simplified, and this is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Oracle Marketing Cloud, this is actually Eloqua uh, that was purchased by Oracle, and I think they're going by Oracle Marketing Cloud now, Oracle Eloqua, however you want to do it. But they are actually, they put together this really cool uh, little white paper guide, Small Guide to Big Ideas to Improve Your Marketing Automation. Um, and I'm going to read some of this through because they put a lot of time in this, uh, Robert. So I'm going to read. <laughs> I'm going to read this through. Somebody put copy together, and you know and what? They're paying the for it. So, and Absolutely. we're going to do a little disruption here. So let's bring it on. More marketers <laughs> implementing traditional advertising. <laughs> More marketers are implementing marketing automation to maximize the value of their data, improve engagements, and effectively measure effectiveness. While automation technology also helps companies become more data-driven to improve accountability, it can be challenging to understand how to make the most of its functionality. The Marketing Automation Simplified Guide 
offers an introduction to the five tenets of modern marketing. I'm looking forward to those. And breaks down the tips marketers need to automate and optimize data and targeting, email marketing, lead nurturing and scoring, content marketing, and sales slash marketing alignment. You can get this guide at bit.ly.com slash PNR-MA. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR-MA. That's all lowercase. And we'll make sure we have a link in the show notes as well. But just kudos out to, you know, you and I have been doing this for a while. Uh, and it's just nice to, to get our good friends at Oracle to step up and be a sponsor of uh, today's podcast. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Go. go download that thing because it really is a good white paper. I actually downloaded and read it, and it's actually some really good advice in there for if, uh, if you honestly if you're, if you're it, no you're yeah. right if you're trying to figure out marketing automation it, it's a yeah, great place to it's start a great yeah. start there you got it absolutely well now it's time for the show that we both love and love and love and love which is our rant and rave section of the podcast where joe and i go off on a bit of a rant or a bit of a rave on something that has really gotten our ire up or gotten our heart a pitter pattering <laughs> and uh so i'm gonna go first okay. Um, and I'm going to start. So my good friend Joe Polizzi has encouraged me on the trip that we were on to start blogging through LinkedIn, basically using my newfound capabilities as a LinkedIn poster thing, the blogging tool, to actually do something with it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start every week uh, putting my rave or my rant there. Um, and so I'm going to talk about it, but you'll absolutely be able to go read it on my LinkedIn profile if you're so inclined. And of course, we'll put the link in the show notes as, as normal. And so my rant this week um, is on, if you didn't see it, Joe, I don't know how you could miss it, but uh, <laughs> the actress Katherine Heigl, who is formerly known for Grey's Anatomy, one of my wife's favorite shows, um, she was in the news for all the wrong reasons. Basically, she was captured in a paparazzi photo walking out of a Dwayne Reed uh, drugstore, which is a popular drugstore chain in New York City, and it got posted onto a paparazzi website. I don't know why. It's The picture is like not that great, um, and but it was there. And I guess the social team at Dwayne Reed couldn't resist, and so they tweeted out with the picture basically a tweet that says, even at Katie Heigl, can't resist shopping New York City's favorite drugstore. So there you go. That's the tweet. And it raised all kinds of heck. Uh, basically, she is now suing Dwayne Reed for $6 million, basically saying that this is not cool, that they shouldn't have been able to do this because it, this tweet basically ends up being an endorsement of her, of Dwayne Reed, and that's an ad. And this was what really sort of set me off because I've started to go out and look at all of the articles here, and all of the articles are really talking about, yeah, she's, you know, well, first of all, there's the article sort of like throwing her under the bus, which is, you know, whatever. I mean, about how she's grumpy and she's mean and what all that. Barring all of that, there's the real legal question here of, is a tweet an ad? And, I, you know, there was an Adweek article that ran, which I thought was the best article really thus far, that really sort of went through four things, which was get permission, tweet without the commentary, basically showing how Dwayne Reed should have done it. In other words, if they didn't want trouble. But I think that's a really slippery slope because all of them were basically, it was all about semantics. They should have been more transparent. They should have not said that she couldn't resist shopping there or whatever. And all of that is sort of running around this question of what is a tweet and ad? And the bigger question is, is what is a media company? Because if this had been on the National Enquirer or Us Weekly or whatever, we wouldn't even be talking no, about it. No, not at all. And and so the question is, if it, why can't a brand do that, and and a media company can, if they can, because there's plenty of examples of media companies. You know, I I can't you know tell you how many times I've, well, I've you know, <laughs> occasionally picked up an Us Weekly magazine in the grocery store line while I'm waiting. I I don't buy that magazine, of course. Of course not. Um, but of course. I, yeah, of course not. No, but you know, you open it up and you see you know stars are just like us. They read Us Weekly, so there's pictures in the magazine of stars reading Us Weekly and them being self congratulatory about it. And so there's plenty of examples of that. So I wonder if it's this is really a slippery slope. I think where. If a tweet is an ad, 
we need to be really scared as marketers because one, it makes it very, very hard for us to take advantage of anything. You know, the example I use is if somebody takes a picture of me at a conference speaking and their logo happens to be on the podium, am I endorsing? Am I now in an ad for that product? It's, you know, it seems silly for, for me to ask because I'm nobody, but, but for people who actually will care about this, they're going to have to start being careful about doing that kind of stuff, which just seems to me to be ridiculous. And anyway, so, so the, the whole post that I wrote out on LinkedIn sort of goes through the different examples of that. But it, it, it's really something I think we need to pay really close attention to and not just sort of look at it like, ah, oh, it's Catherine Heigl and it's a celebrity and whatever, and a tweet is a tweet is a tweet. But it's something that's really going to be important and, and worth following. This is, this is such – by the way, congratulations. I don't know who talked oh, – you. I don't know who talked you into doing it. But <laughs> it was you. Like, <laughs> but congratulations. Uh, it's a critical issue. I don't know where it's going to go, and it, it intertwines with everything we've talked about in this show and on this whole podcast. I think, I, I mean, I really almost think that in the future, maybe the very near future, that we might just consider everything to be an ad. And you got to yeah, just go it's... figure it out on your own. Because you can't, you, I don't know how to regulate this. Because you're right. Every, when everything, everybody is a media company, which everybody is now, why does Us Weekly have different uh, standards than Dwayne Reed? They don't. Right. They shouldn't. They're doing the same right, thing. Exactly there's right. no difference. There's no difference it's because we think there's a difference because the revenue streams are different. Come on. We need right. to get out of the... Uh, the 70s, I guess. Well, there's this freedom of the press thing, right? I mean, so, you know, so that they, they lean back on this freedom of speech thing, and which is what Dwayne Reed is leaning back on as well, by the way. They're leaning back on freedom of the, you know, freedom of speech as well. And the, the Catherine Heigl team is basically saying, no, 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 it's, it's an ad. They're actually saying, no, this is this. So they're asking the court to define this tweet as an ad. Therefore, they can sue for damages, you know, because I get the idea that you can't use a paparazzi's photo in a print ad where you're saying Catherine Heigl endorses Dwayne Reed. You can't do that. That, you know, just like and that's been law forever. But and you can argue whether or not, you know, the semantics of of, you know, what they said was sort of an endorsement or not. And but that's where it gets to be a weird slippery slope for me. It's like that's you know it, it's 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 just a very odd thing if we have to start watching exactly how we phrase things to make sure that it's not even could be construed as an endorsement you know the example that i use is what if burger king had done this right instead of Dwayne reed what if burger king had said there's katherine heigl very grumpily walking out of a Dwayne reed Maybe she needs a BK burger, you know, hashtag BK breakfast, right? I mean, so if they had done it, would we still be having this conversation? I don't think so. So it's, it's you know what I mean? It's like, a, it's a very odd, it's a very odd uh, 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 situation. Hey, you know what? She went shopping there and she got, <laughs> she walked outside. So it's fair game, man. <laughs> That's right. You know what? That's right. If you don't, exactly right. then, then don't, then, then bring your, you know, do what we do. Like when we go to the grocery store, we bring our own brown bags. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> then she doesn't have to worry about right. it. Right, right. Oh, jeez. All right, all right. What about what about you? You got to rave this yeah, week. Yeah, and I and I and I'll, I'm not going to go too far in depth, but I want to put it in the show notes. I'm going to give uh, a rave out to our good friend Jay Bear, uh, CEO of Convince and Convert, of course, author of Utility. There's two things he did, and he wrote a post: eight things I'm trying to improve with his new website at Convince and Convert. Which, by the way, hats off, he did a great job. But what I love about this post is. He's basically saying, here's what we're struggling with. And I love it. That we try to do this as well at CMI. We basically say, here's what we're trying. We struggle with content marketing too. We struggle with SEO too. And here's what we're challenged with. And he just goes through these eight things about, you know, trying to figure out how he can boost email signups and focusing on a pot on, you know, on the podcast and, and what he needs to do for mobile devices and how to increase time on site and goes through all those issues and just hats off to Jay. We're going to put it in the show notes. Uh, I would recommend everybody read this article because when I went through and read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, these are the things we're challenged with. We de- we need to go yeah. and look at these things as well. And I'm assuming most of the people that are listening to this podcast are in the same boat. So hats off to Jay, and uh, we'll make sure we uh, promote this out to uh, to the audience. 
Absolutely. I love Jay to death. And, uh, you know, and, and just also just a hat tip to him. We actually, he and I have a post coming out on Thursday where we talk a little bit about this Facebook reach thing. And, and, uh, and Ooh, that was a fun nice. thing to work on together. Yeah. Very cool. Absolutely. Well, now it's time for the namesake of our show, This Old Marketing. And you have a really interesting one this week, I think, over This Old Marketing. You know, I, it's actually back to you, back to you this oh week. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I have to go back in the day, and this this example is um, a deep place in my heart. It's Fire Protection Engineering Magazine, which is the official magazine of the Society of Fire Protection Engineers. And the reason why it's so close to my heart is this is the first custom media content marketing project I ever worked on. Oh, I didn't I know. know that. This is it. When I first started at Penton Media, it's so funny. I mean, I can tell you the story. I don't want to go too too long here, but when I when I first started, they actually needed the model that they had for the. I think it's their second or third issue. Uh, they couldn't find somebody, and they just grabbed me. And they it was like my third day on the job, and they said, "Look, you're going to be the engineer in this picture." And that was my that was my first cover shot, first and only cover shot. I think. And and, on, and and fortunately, the magazine went on after that. But there's a cut, and I'll link to this in the show notes, but it's been going on for, you know, 15 years now. And it's what I love about this magazine is it is consistently ranked as one of the most important reasons why people stay joined to the association, the magazine. Wow. And wow. I think you talked about an example last week like that. I mean, this, this yeah. is so it's amazing that people really look at that. The second thing is they, um, they get all their, com- their content donated from members. And it is a real honor oh, to right. be in the magazine. And there is a wonderful process that's set up where the board, actually the board of SFPE, they get together and they review all the content, they edit it, and Morgan Hurley is the technical technical director. He's been running this magazine for years and years, does a fantastic job around this. But I love the fact that they bring the community, they bring the membership together, and they publish this with each other. And it is, a, is it, by the way, it's a difficult process, but it's a really important process, I think, for the entire industry. And I would love to see more organizations, you don't have to be an association, but I'd love to see more organizations do that. I think we try to do this online with Content Marketing Institute and getting more people involved in our content. And I think that yeah. sometimes brands are hesitant at going out, out to their customers. And saying, look, we want to get you involved, and we think we've got to own the entire process. Well, here's an association that went out to their members and really picked the ones and, and, you know, of course, got people that said they wanted to write for it. They put together a process, and they made it work for them, and it's been a, a successful and important part of this association growing. I love that example. I love that example because it goes to one of the things that there was a question that came up when we were at uh, in uh, in Sydney, actually, at one of the, the the sort of day after meetings that we had, where you know somebody said, "Well, we're not in a very exciting business, so how do we do content marketing?" And you know, you and I were like, no, "There is no such thing as a not exciting business because it's exciting to someone. Someone wants to participate in that business; otherwise, you wouldn't be in business." And so, there, you know, you can find passion for anything and exciting things in anything. And I just I love the fact when you know when when I hear content marketing stories that aren't about you know pet stores and you know. And Legos and you know stuff that you know seems easy to write great exciting content for. No. Well, where are you going to be? Where, what's uh, what's coming up for you? Well, let's see. We've got uh, we've got our, uh, the the content marketing masterclass uh, with LinkedIn. Dun, dun, uh, dun. That's in uh, Toronto, I believe. What date is that? The April 29th? That would be the no, 30th. The thirtieth. Okay, uh, April thirtieth. So yeah. hey, we'll be in Toronto. Make sure you come sign up and see you and I. I'll be I'll be there. And uh, and thanks to LinkedIn for for putting that on. And we're getting awfully awfully close to uh, the executive forum. Executive forum. And uh, the, the sign ups are coming. Coming in, it looks like uh, we're going to have a really good crowd of. And and by the way, and I'm not just saying this. This is going to be the best grouping of content marketing leaders in one room we've ever seen. And and I'm so excited that we were able to get them all together in the room in San Francisco. We've got a few spots left. Uh, so if anybody out there wants to make this thing happen, just uh, go to uh, Content Marketing World and just click on the Executive Forum button. And uh, yeah, I'm like, and, and we're, I think we're, we're together on that one. But are you traveling before Toronto? 
Are you doing anything else? Uh, I, the only thing I'm doing is uh, I've got a couple of days ahead of Toronto. It's, a, it's the same trip, but I'm going to be making a pit stop in Chicago and then on to Toronto and then from there uh, to Montreal, actually, for a one-day thing and then back home. So, Well, I think because uh, both yeah. of us were gone for three weeks, we're, we're sort of grounded here for the next I know, couple. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing or send an email. I remember what those look like. To thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was episode number 22. Also, if you like this episode, please do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. Have I said that before? All those links are on the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. And remember, folks, as I always say, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. 